Well, good morning. So we are in the midst of a series at the moment called Encounters with Jesus. And it's a stories of all sorts of different people who encounter Jesus, as it says. And the two stories we're going to consider today is these stories of the woman at the well and Nicodemus. And I've only ever heard of these stories being talked about separately. I mean, I've spoken about the woman of the well before, but I never had in my head to link it up with the story of Nicodemus, which comes just the chapter before. But then I read this book. This is the book Encounters with Jesus by Timothy Keller. And this is where we got the inspiration for the series we're currently doing. And the way he considered these stories together is so brilliant that I could genuinely get a nice little chair. I could sit and open this book. We could have some story time. And you would be blown away. And all I would need to do is read his words. Um, But that's not what we usually do here. So I'm going to take what Tim says because... It is so good that I definitely could not say it any better. Um, But I'm going to try and, you know, say it in in my own kind of way for you. Um, So if you like what you hear, do read this book because it is absolutely incredible. And I do feel this is what needs to be shared this morning. And do bear with me because our scheduled preacher is ill. um, And we're going to go with it and it's going to be great. It's all fine. So, these two encounters, they appear, as I said, next to each other in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. And perhaps that's for a reason. At first reading, they appear so different, don't they? They appear so different. These people are so different. But Tim Keller leads us to ask whether these two people have anything in common. Absolutely anything at all. Because if these two people have something in common, then perhaps we all have something in common. We've got our insider, Nicodemus, and we've got our outcast, this Samaritan woman. And I don't know about you, but I love stories of the underdog becoming the hero, or those stories of the outcast finding their place. And Disney are very good at these stories. Dumbo, Tarzan, Beauty and the Beast, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Lion King. We find these kind of stories all over the place, including in the Bible. And this story of the woman of the well, that is one of my favourite stories where the outcast finds their place. So Jesus meets this Samaritan woman by a well at midday. And he starts to talk to her about water. And for us, viewing this through our eyes in the UK in 2023, we think, okay. So it's kind of like, you know, they're at work, they meet by the drinking fountain and, you know, they both need a drink. They're just chatting or they meet in a shop. It's a warm day. They meet by the fridges to get their favorite beverage. They start having a chat. But it's nothing like that. This conversation is nothing like what we can imagine thinking about what our conversations are like. This conversation is not normal. This conversation is so rebellious and radical and audacious. 
But we need to consider the culture and the customs of the day to understand why that is so. So why is this conversation so radical? Number one, firstly, Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans, they were basically Jews who married Gentiles, non-Jews. And they formed this new tribe, they mixed together their culture, their customs, their religion, and therefore they were seen to other people as being inferior and not to be associated with. Jews and Samaritans were basically enemies. If you read the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a reason why we make a big deal about the Good Samaritan being good. Because Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. And Jews, they usually travelled around Samaria. They didn't like to go through it. But Jesus is Jesus. He doesn't do things the conventional way. And so he goes straight through that divide physically by going through Samaria. But also by talking to this woman. He goes through all these cultural divides, all these different divides that might separate him from this woman. Secondly, it was an absolute disgrace for a Jewish man to speak to an unknown woman in public. That was not something that was to be done. And it was also against custom for her to speak back to him. She was not supposed to talk to men that she didn't know. Jesus should not have initiated this conversation. It was not the done thing. But Jesus doesn't always do what the done thing is. Thirdly, she drew water at noon. And you might think, okay, right, she needed a drink in the middle of the day. Cool. But this is a really, really hot place. And so the women would usually draw water in the morning. Who knows how far they've got to walk in the heat to get that, that water. They'd draw it in the morning and they'd have enough water to last them throughout the day, doing all their tasks that they need to do, their jobs in the house. So if everybody else draws their water in the morning, why is this woman there at noon at the hottest part of the day? Because she didn't want to see anyone. She was ashamed of herself. She was a moral outcast. She was an outsider. Even within the Samaritans who were already marginalized. She's like an outcast of the outcasts. But yet here we see Jesus cut through so many barriers and conventions of the time. And there's so many reasons why he should not have spoken to her, but he did. And this interaction is incredible. Because in their conversation, Jesus is warm and kind. Yet he still confronts her, but in a really beautifully gentle way. He says, if you knew who I was... You would ask me for living water. And if you drink that water, you will never be thirsty again. Living water here, it's a metaphor for eternal life. For a life filled with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is available to each and every one of us. But today in this country, this, this image of water and this image of thirst... It's not quite so powerful as it would have been then. Because we have easy access to water. If I'm thirsty, I've got my trusty bottle of water, which I carry around with me pretty much everywhere. 
If I need water, I can take a drink. If I run out of water, there are oh, a lot of taps in this building. Or if I'm at home, or even if I'm out and about, there is a way for me to access water really, really easily. And we're really blessed in this country that we can do that. And even today, that is not the case in every country. And if we've had, you know, a particularly hot day like we've had recently, or perhaps, you know, some people, not, not all of us, some people have gone on a really long run or something like that, and they are so hot, it's a hot day, you have that cool glass of water and it feels great. But that is nothing compared to real thirst. And that's because our bodies contain so much water. For us to be thirsty, truly, truly thirsty, is for our bodies to be in agony. It's excruciating. And these people live next to a desert. And it was a really hot place. And they will have known what it meant to be thirsty. A lot thirstier than we are. And how unbelievably satisfying it is to have that drink of water after the thirst. So here, Jesus is saying that he's got something to give that is so unbelievably necessary spiritually as water is physically. We cannot live without it. Our bodies are full of it. And what Jesus has to offer is truly life-saving. And it satisfies us from the inside. This is truly feeling fulfilled. There's nothing that we can get on the outside. Money, a particular career, a special relationship. There is nothing that will truly, truly fulfill us forever. Only Jesus can do that. Regardless of what's going on on the outside, regardless of what life throws at us, regardless of our circumstances, we can be satisfied, we can be fulfilled, we can be content. And it's only through Jesus. And there are countless stories of people who strive and strive and strive for something, for a big goal, you know, perhaps... Um, perhaps it's around money or perceived success. There's a great story of this that I like from the Alpha course. And there are lots of people that have had this experience. They forego relationships and they miss out on experiences. They don't live life very much because they are striving and striving and striving for this one thing. They think it will make them happy and that it will fulfill them. And they get there and they achieve it and they realise... There's nobody here with me. Who have I got to celebrate with? And actually, I don't feel very fulfilled at all. They're a person with money or status and, and not much else. There are countless stories of people that say this. And regularly those people tend to do something great when they recognise this. You see, money doesn't make us happy. There's a point to which money can make us happier because we don't have to worry about it. But beyond that point, our happiness levels off, even if our income increases. And there's a certain point where income increases so much that actually a person's happiness statistically goes down. Jesus alone can truly satisfy. 
So let's go back to the story. This woman, she's got nothing to lose, absolutely nothing to lose, but she's got everything to gain. She says, what is this living water? Would you give it to me? Jesus says, go and get your husband. Seems like a strange thing for him to say. It does to us anyway. And she replies, I don't have a husband. No, you're right, Jesus said. You've got five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What is Jesus doing here? Is Jesus trying to shame her? No, absolutely not. What he's saying to her is, you have been looking for this deep satisfaction. You've been looking for it in men. And it's not working, is it? She knows it's not working for her. She's been looking for love in the wrong place. And this woman's taken aback by his knowledge. Whoa, this guy knows this about me. So she responds, sir, I see you are a prophet. She's open to him. But then she goes on to say this. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. She understands the Jewish customs because Samaritans were Jews who married Gentiles, non-Jews. But what Jesus says next is that there's a time coming when a physical temple will not be needed to access God. She responds that when the Messiah comes, you know, the one we've been waiting for, he will explain it all to us. And what does Jesus do here? He makes a surprising and powerful statement. He doesn't do this a lot. He says, I The one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus reveals who he is. And he doesn't do this very often. He reveals who he is directly to a woman. In those days, you wouldn't have expected. To a Samaritan woman, which you really, really wouldn't have expected. To a Samaritan woman who is a complete outcast. Jesus reveals who he is to her. I love it. And what happens next is just a little little bit. It says she leaves her jar behind. And the first, I don't know, ten times that I read this passage, um, I looked over that bit. But then a number of years ago, I read this passage again and I was like, ooh, wait a second. She leaves her jar behind. The jar that she needs to fulfill her physical thirst. She's no longer preoccupied by her humanity. Because she was filled and she was satisfied spiritually because of this encounter with Jesus. And what does she do? She immediately goes to tell others about him. And again, she shouldn't have done that. There was lots of men. She was not supposed to speak to them. But she did. She told them about Jesus. And many people came to believe in Jesus that day because of this woman. This woman whose name we don't even know. This Samaritan woman. This 
outsider, this outcast. What a beautiful story. And the second story of Nicodemus, it's similar, yet it's very, very different. We know his name. It's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's highly religious. He's part of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus answers, how can anyone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Strange, yes. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Interesting interaction. And this feels almost kind of the opposite of the way that Jesus treats the Samaritan woman. He starts off really kindly with her. He's very warm. And then he gently confronts her spiritual need. But with Nicodemus, with our insider, Jesus is very direct. He says it like it is. Nicodemus is a devout and religious man. He looks like he's got it all together. Actually, from what I read, he seems like quite a good guy. And he's he's quite humble, we see here. He calls Jesus, who is a young man with no formal training, he calls him rabbi. Hmm. He seems so different from the Samaritan woman. Yet Jesus says a very similar thing to him. But he uses a different metaphor. He says you must be born again. You see, Nicodemus had worked really, really hard to get to where he was. He was a well-thought-of religious leader. But see what Jesus does here. The woman at the well, she's thirsty, she needs a drink. He uses this idea of water. But with Nicodemus, he uses an image of something that you can't work hard for, that you can't earn. A baby doesn't work hard for the privilege of being born. It's a free gift of life. And it's just like that with this new birth. Being saved by God is through grace. It's not through anything that we can do. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he freely gives his love to us. And you might have noticed that we're in John 3. And it's in this chapter that we get the most famous Bible verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, whether it's someone that feels like they're all put together or someone that feels like they're falling apart or somewhere in between. 
God loves us so much that he freely gave his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we could receive eternal life, this living water that will satisfy us forever. This being reborn. And Jesus makes no difference here between this woman that's known as a sinful outsider or this religious man who is admired. Both are spiritually in the same position. Both are lost. Both are trying to find satisfaction in something else. Both need this eternal life. It's not good enough for Nicodemus just to be a good guy. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Only God can save us. And only having a relationship with him can truly satisfy our soul. You see, earthly relationships fall apart. Jobs can be lost. Money can be spent. People we love can leave us. But Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us forever. And just before Jesus died on the cross, you might notice he says, I thirst. And this was far more than a physical thirst that he was talking about. He was taking the punishment for our sins and all the things we have done that are not God's best for us. And we've all done it. In that moment, the punishment that we deserved cut him off from the Father, the source of living water. And the physical thirst as he was dying, exhausted after being beaten and nailed to a cross, was nothing compared to the excruciating thirst he had because of being separated from the Father. It's because of Jesus' horrific levels of thirst on the cross that we can have our spiritual thirst quenched, satisfied. It's because he died that we can be born again. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Because of what Jesus did, we can have new life. We can have life in all its fullness. We can have abundant life. We can be satisfied eternally. And this is for all of us. The skeptics and the believers. The insiders and the outcasts. And absolutely anyone in between. Everyone who believes in him. Anyone we are all invited to be part of his family. So what about you? Whether you feel like you've got it all together or you feel like you're falling apart, this free gift of Jesus is available to all. He can satisfy our soul like nothing else can. Money, achievement, relationships, they don't make us truly, truly happy. 
but God can give us eternal joy. Believing in God is a choice. It's a decision. Believing that Jesus lived and died and rose again is a choice. It's a decision. And it is the best decision that I ever made. And he opens that out for all of us. So I'd like to think about where you're at today. So I'd like just to close our eyes. So you can just think about yourself, focus on yourself, not on anyone else around you. Are you spiritually thirsty today? Do you want this free gift of new birth? Do you want this eternal life, this living water? Take a moment to consider your response to God. And if you'd like to say for the first time today, I believe in Jesus and mean it. Or you want to come back to him, you feel like you've been far away, you want to come back. Then I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. And you can do this anywhere. You don't have to be in a church service to say to God, I'm in. I want this living water. I want what you have for me. You can say that any way you want to. So if you decide you want to say this later on, later in the week when you've reflected, you can do that. But for anyone that wants to make that decision today with our eyes closed so that people can reflect upon themselves, I'd like you just to simply put your hand up so that I can see who to pray for. It's just a sign of you saying, yeah, I'm in. God, I am in. So if you want to join God's family this morning, put your hand up or you want to come back to him. Brilliant. And so we're going to pray together. So if you are a believer, if you've just decided that this morning, we are all going to pray this together because making a decision to follow Jesus, it is something we decide to do regularly. We don't decide once and say, right, I've done it. Each and every day we have to decide that we're all in. We have to decide that we're going to live for him. We have to decide to make him our number one priority. We decide that what's going on outside, whatever that is, we're going to put our trust in God. We're going to put our hope in God. And so all of us together, we're going to pray. I'd like you to repeat after me and we can celebrate with those people that are making that decision today. Father God, Thank you that you love me. I'm sorry that I have done things that are not your best for me. Thank you.
Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I believe in him. And I am choosing to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Amen. Brilliant. Let's just celebrate because people pull their hand up. I wanted to follow Jesus. And when this happens, there is a party that happens in heaven. When one person says yes to Jesus, they celebrate in heaven. And we should celebrate too. And so if that was you today and you said yes to following Jesus, please do speak to someone. Tell them about what you've done so that they can help you and support you. And as a church, we have communities, we have missional communities, we have people that meet together regularly to support each other in their faith. Join one of those. Get some support on this journey, because we're a family, and you're part of it, and we're all in this together. So as we sing a song together, you're welcome to sing, to worship God. You're welcome to sit and reflect You're welcome to dance and celebrate what God is doing. However you want to respond to God is up to you. And let's remember this week, each and every day, to make that decision to follow him. This is the good news. And it's shareable. We can share this good news with other people around us. Whoever you meet this week, share the good news with them. Whether they're like Nicodemus, like the Samaritan woman, or nothing like them. We are all invited. We all get the opportunity to have the living water.